I'm going to read the first portion of Genesis chapter 6, and then we'll just have you guys tell me what it's all about, and that'll, uh, that'll make things a lot easier for me. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm uh, actually really excited about this sermon. For those of you who know me and who have been attending, um, this, this, is, uh, this is good stuff, and um, I've been, I've been uh, looking forward to this sermon, and... Um, I think, and, and some healthy trepidation, because there's so many ways that we can go wrong. So let's start with the text, and then we will go where, uh, where I believe God has us for this morning. Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Let's pray. Yahweh, you are the living God. You are the creator. And it's to you and by you, we appeal to your truth. We ask for mercy, Lord, that you protect us from deception, that you protect us from going astray, that you have mercy on us, that you open our hearts and our minds and show us your way, Lord Jesus. Amen. Turn to the right in your Bibles, to the, about the middle of your Bible, book of Psalms. And go to Psalm 119. It's actually pretty much dead on in the middle of your Bible. And verse 111. I've been thinking about this verse a lot this week. Psalm 119, 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. What does that mean? It means... 
that the witness, that's what that word is also often translated as, is the witness of God, the testimonies of God, the things He has done in the past, and the things that others have seen and told are our heritage. That's our heritage when we belong to God. Our heritage is this past stuff, these past truths. So that gives me great comfort that if that is our heritage, and there's a a lot of people want to know their heritage, they want to understand their heritage. I don't know a lot about my heritage. Um, We were in this time where people really want to know where they come from. They want to know their line, they want to know their background, they want to know their history, they want to know their family trees. Well, this tells us, among other things, that the testimonies of our king are our heritage. So we shouldn't be afraid to study them. We shouldn't be afraid to say, what really happened? What's going on? I would like to point out that uh, the way this has worked out, um, I got to preach the curse of Eve on Mother's Day. And then today, which is a baby dedication, I get to preach abominable offspring. And um, we're not doing this on purpose. <laughs> it's just sort of happening. But I think in, in a way it does set up, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful truth that then rises to the, to the top because what it shows us is that there is a difference between right and wrong. And we have this... this this privilege, but it's not really a privilege, it's something of a curse, of going through a lot of spiritual reality with our eyes shut. And we, we've comforted ourselves, I think to our detriment, saying things like, well, nobody knows what this means, so let's just skip it. Instead of saying, what does it actually say? What does it mean? What might it mean? And uh, does anybody else who was there, say the same thing. Now, I've put, um, and my poor wife has had to survive me trying to process verbally as I, that's what I do. I absorb tremendous, tremendous amounts of information and then I process them and sometimes I come up with something coherent on the other side. And that's what I've been working on with this for months and months and months, um, reading, and I went on a kick for a while, I said, I'm not reading anything unless it's 4,000 years old. And that's, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> and I learned some things. <laughs> I, I learned that uh, uh, cuneiform is very hard to read. Um, but but so, so I, I was doing, because what I wanted to do so badly is I said, all right, if I can get to the bottom of this, if I can get to a, a distilled, fully baked theory, and I can bring it to the church, then it will do something for the church right? And I've been praying, and as the, the day for this particular sermon's approach, I've been praying more and more fervently. And on Friday, in particular, I, was, um, I went for a walk, and I like to walk at night when the stars are out and, and pray. And I was on my knees saying, God, show me what the point is. What's the point? And you remember, if you were here last week, I was saying, it doesn't do any good for me to just come tell you what Joel thinks, that's my name, by the way. I'm, I'm Joel, Joel. Um, Joel Gein, um, which means, by the way, I'm the only Joel Gein, speaking of heritage, I'm the only one with my name, which means anything that I say that gets recorded and goes online, if I'm Googled, it shows up immediately. <laughs> so I am on, I'm responsible for everything I publish or say 
because I'm very easy to find because nobody else has my name. And uh, so I have to be very careful. But I'm not, I, and that can lead to a spirit of fear, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to say, th- I'm going to say what I think. Not because what I think is so valuable, but because I think there's value in considering Scripture for what it says. But I can say, too, that what I think is not the point. Now, what I'm not saying is, oh, well, let's just equivocate it away and say we can all agree to disagree. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there is real value and answers here. But the point isn't me. It is Christ. And I'll show you what I mean by that when we get there. But first, let's hold ourselves accountable to the text. Um, There's so much in the first few verses, uh, I'm just not going to get much into the the portions about Noah that we read. We just can't do it. Um, Not today. And we could, I could, but I had a conversation with a friend and it was four hours and I don't think you guys want to do that. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Okay, it's Genesis 6. Verse 1, man, man, the word there, Adam, mankind. Adam, mankind, man, flesh, begin to multiply and populate the land. They had daughters. And the sons of God, that's a loaded one. That, that phrase, Benecha Elohim, sons of God. It's only used a few places in Scripture. This is one of them. It shows up in Job a few times. It always means angels or supernatural created beings. That's what it means. I know that there's a very long tradition, and it wasn't the tradition when uh, this was written. It certainly wasn't the tradition at the time of Christ, but within a few centuries after the time of Christ, they were having problems with this, and Augustine kind of led the charge saying, let's say that that actually means the sons of Seth. That's just much easier. It's just, but it's not what it says. It's just not. So we're going to go with what it says. If, you, if, if you're confused by that, there's an alternative Sethite theory that makes all this very digestible and palatable, but just makes no sense in the context of Scripture. So um, um, we're not going to go with that theory because it's wrong. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say that I, I believe it's wrong. It's, it's just not correct. It doesn't make sense. This says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. It says it in the Septuagint. It says it in the Greek. It says it in all the texts. And that's also what all the other ancient texts around the time say. So... I, don't, I, I think we, we, ha- have, we have a tremendous amount of, of arrogance when we come to these things and we look backwards at people who are actually kind of like there or very close to it and say, everything you guys say is wrong, we know the truth, and the truth is you guys were all deluded. I don't think so. I don't think so. Or to get to... As uh, I heard a a well-known historian say recently, well, I read in in his writing, he said recently, he said, I was so arrogant as a young man, and and he was an atheist as a young man, to think that that I, in my mind, had come to a better conclusion than 6,000 years of human history before me had come. Why don't we look at what it says? And why don't we look at what it seems to be the consensus so the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took wives of whomever they chose. That's a one-sided agreement, by the way. Very problematic. And there's a, we won't go into it here, but there's a lot of ancient text that says, by the way, the sons, the, 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 uh, the, do, the sons of men didn't like this at all, because the sons of God were taking all the wives, and they didn't have much left. 
and it wasn't going well, and that goes directly into this violence that starts to fill the earth. The earth becomes a disaster after this, a catastrophe. And it's however you've imagined that being, this is not just a lot of people not getting along. This is a, a, a cosmic conflict of catastrophe. That, I, that was alliteration. That was cool. I wasn't even trying to do that. Um, go with me to uh, Deuteronomy. We've, we've been here before. I just want to refresh your mind. Deuteronomy, very end. This is a song of Moses. 32-ish. Let's go to verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. This is one of those places. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste in the wilderness. We've talked about wilderness and how important that is. Go down to verse 15. But Jeshurun, that's a, a word for the nation of Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. And he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, then to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never feared or dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth, and eventually he goes on to say, and then you got all the way to idols and things that weren't even gods. So, what does that tell us? It tells us there's a progression of something that happened here. That, but there's tons in there. We're going to talk more about it when we get to the Tower of Babel. But there's a progression. What you have is you have God, a creator, and he makes people, and he says, these are mine. And then we know from the Garden of Eden that other created things that are not people said, no, they're going to be mine. And that's a conflict, right? And the people went after that, and they repeated this with the nation of Israel, and that's what Moses is talking about. So the people went after that, and they fell to the deceptions. And what it tells us is, these aren't all just made-up imaginary ideas. There are other beings, and they lie. And they're also powerful. And you can... God says, don't worship them, don't go for them. He says, it'll be to your destruction. And I know that that uh, may be a little bit of a shock if you haven't been attending. If you have been attending, we've, we've hinted at this, but guys, that, that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. So the next section of my notes is called There Be Monsters, um, because I couldn't think of any other way to put it. Um, if you go to flip back to Genesis chapter 1, Look at just verse 20, 21. This is, a, this is fun. It's really fun to go through and like dissect each Hebrew word along the way. So God created, in Genesis 1, 21, the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. You know that, that term in the Hebrew is sea monsters, the monsters of the, deep, uh, of the depth, the monsters of the abyss is what it's called in Scripture. And that's the same phrase that comes up when they talk about things like Leviathan and the great sea serpent and comes back up in Revelation and in Job and these other places. So there's an acknowledgement, and if you, if you were of this ancient mindset, you would have been seeing this all the way through, that when God created the heavens and the earth, 
way back when he created the heavens and the earth, and they start telling the story of the earth, there's an understanding that there's other things going on. And a lot of people say, no, 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 it was all created at the same instant. Well, Job chapter 38 says that the sons of God, there's that phrase again, were shouting for joy as they watched God create the earth and man. So we get an order that happens. Some things predated others. All that to say that when an ancient Hebrew would have read this, they would have been nodding along because they would have said, yeah, we've heard about this. We know about this. By the way, when this was translated into Greek by the, uh, in the Septuagint translation um, in ancient times, those scholars that knew Hebrew inside and out and translated it to Greek translated these Nephilim offspring as titans. And the Greek word they use is gigantes, and they said, and the mighty ones in the days were the titans. That should sound familiar if you follow Greek mythology. I'm not saying I validate everything about Greek mythology, but I am saying that every ancient mythology has this story in it somewhere, somehow. It's all in there. Do you guys want to see some of it? Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, Brian, do you have it? Can we queue it up? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you some things. Now, I know this is hard to see. But don't worry, it's, we'll go through this super fast, because th again, this is not the point. This is not the point. This is from uh, ancient Sumerian. Um, there's a legend in the Sumerian cre uh, creation epics called the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, nobody can figure out who they are or what they are, um, but you see here that they have a demigod king presenting slaves to the goddess Ishtar, who is the one who became Ashtoreth. Go to the next one, because I think I, what it does is it pops us out a little bit. One of the things you're going to notice is, first of all, that goddess Ishtar isn't quite anatomically normal, not to mention, how come the demigod and the goddess are huge and the people are tiny? That's an interesting question. Were there giants? So the Greek, the Greek word of Nephilim is gigantes, which often gets translated giants. You may see that in your Bible. It says giants. That's not really the correct translation, um, but it doesn't exclude there being giants. Is it weird to say that there might be giants? Well, if you read David and Goliath, no. Right? I mean, it's, it's this simple, guys. Do we believe the Bible or not? Do we believe it? or not? Because the Bible says a lot of, of mind-bending things. It said that God indwelt human flesh, died, saved our sins, and then walked out of the tomb three days later. It says that. It says a lot of other stuff too. Read Ezekiel chapter 1 if you want to try and... Uh, we're not going to preach on that anytime soon because it's even harder than this. It's harder than this. I mean, what is this stuff? Let's go to the next one just for fun. I don't even remember which ones I threw in here. Okay, this is, uh, again, 2300 BC. These are deities. These are the oldest deity. I mean, the, when we talk about Sumerian literature, this stuff is, is the oldest writing we have. It predates the writing of Scripture. It it's, goes way, way, way back. And these are the reliefs. And what, you, you, what I'm just going to point out here is none of these follow what we're used to with our typical form or function. And it seemed to just be taken for granted here that things were huge and misshapen and combined of different creatures. Do you know, in the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we're having a field day with because we're still finding Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, we're up to over 1,000 of them. There's about 1,050 that have been uncovered, and they're slowly being translated. And you can go read this stuff. 
They found attached to the Book of Enoch, which you've heard me reference, they found one called the Book of Giants. And the entire thing about the Book of Giants, we don't have a perfect manuscript, the whole thing is about the hybridization program of taking 200 creatures and crossbreeding them with other creatures because they have, they're trying to build bodies that these fallen spirits can fit into. That's what they're trying to do. This winged guy on the far left is everywhere, all over the ancient world, all over the place. Let's go to the next one. This is Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is the oldest story we have. And Gilgamesh is corroborated by, historically by several other um, uh, characters that are mentioned in Gilgamesh are found in other writings and other texts. Historically, Gilgamesh was a dude. And we've dismissed for a long time, we keep finding all this stuff. The problem here, for, there's that winged guy on the bottom again. He's, he's around. You've got, wing, you've got bodies with wings, you've got lion bodies, man heads. You'll see lion bodies with people hands, all kinds of stuff. But what's the deal with Gilgamesh? He's holding these lions. How tall is that dude? He's huge. Which, by the way, is exactly what the stories say. So we can look at it, we can go, well, that's all just foolishness, that's all just falsehood. Um, this is all just conflating everything. But the problem we have is every single ancient culture agrees. They all say the same thing. Let's go to the next one. These are some of the oldest statues we've ever found. I didn't put any more commentary. I'll just let you make your own judgments there. <laughs> yeah, look at that one in the middle. Remember we were talking about walking snakes, and you know we, that was a couple of, couple of ones ago. Let's go to the next one, see where we're at. These are repeated everywhere. So the tall things on the side, you keep seeing these creatures, and they're all picking a fruit from a tree. And it's all over the ancient world, and there are motifs of it on tombs, in the Sumerian literature, in the Babylonian literature. It's all over the place. There's, you know, you ever, you know, eating from a tree that they're not supposed to. Sounds familiar, right? And then sometimes they're guarding a tree. That one, that's uh, reminiscent. Is that, that's not Egyptian, by the way, but it sure looks like it, doesn't it? We'll get to Egypt in just a minute. Look at the guy on the, on the bottom left, the king who happens to have wings fighting the other thing that we don't know what that is, but it sounds like abomination. Shouldn't, it's not what... God made. And all the stories, by the way, as you read this stuff, what, or, and you don't have to read it, I'll tell you what it says. It all says the same thing that the Bible says, they just put the characters in different places. And what they say is, they get all mixed up on who's good and who's bad and who's right and who's wrong and who's helpful and who's not. The Babylonian culture, the entire Babylonian culture, fully credits demonic beings that they call gods for everything that they know. They said they taught us how to write, they taught us how to build, they taught us how to smith, they taught us medicine, they taught us how to interbreed species, they taught us everything we know. They don't, they, don't claim, they don't claim that they came by it from the scientific method, they said it was all revealed to us. It's also what the Book of Enoch says. The Book of Enoch says, yeah, and they weren't supposed to tell you a lot of that stuff because you used it to your destruction. Let's keep going. Okay, now we're at Egypt. Perfect slide for baby dedications. What you have here is Nefertiti and Akhenaten. Now, th these are new. These are relatively recent finds, by the way. I've read three different scholarly articles on this thing, and they all don't address the obvious. Is anybody seeing what I'm seeing? What's wrong with those babies? 
They all just say, oh, look at this. This is literally titled in the, in the Berlin Museum where it's on display, Nefertiti and Akhenaten play with their three daughters. And it's just shown as like an example of great domestic kind of let's take a step back and just enjoy the household situation of this queen and her king and, and of them playing with their kids. I'm looking at it going, first of all, that's not what the letters on the back say. I, don't, I can't translate it, but I've tried to find translations of it, and they're all over the place. I don't know. Draw your own conclusions. Are we whitewashing this? And by, by whitewashing, I mean, are we just trying to make this palatable, or does it say something else? What's up with those babies? If that's even what they are. Their heads don't fit. Right? And that got me going down a rabbit hole of heads. Let's talk about heads. Keep going. Oh, by the way, this, they also found this. Good luck with that one. That's in the Seti Temple of Abydos, one of the oldest ones we've ever found. And I've had four different scholarly articles explain that this is what happens when you write hieroglyphs and the plaster comes off and you put other hieroglyphs on top of them and it's just a coincidence. It's like, man, that's a lot of coincidence for one thing. But that's real. That exists. People can argue about where, where it came from, what it means, what it's trying to show. I don't know, but I don't think it's nothing. I don't know. Keep going. Let's go on to heads. Heads are cool. All right. These are in Paracas, Peru. These got recently... By the way, skulls like this, there's over a thousand of them on display around the world, and there's a whole lot more of them that aren't on display. They keep finding these. And again, guys, I, this isn't like stuff I'm finding in the dark corners of the internet. This is stuff that I'm finding lectures from archaeologists on and watching what they have to say because what, every, every scholarly article I can find on this, if you go to the Wikipedia pages for these, what they're going to explain is, yeah, this is called a, a cranial manipulation to malform it. Like, okay, you can shape a head, right? You can't make it twice as big. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. By the way, I mean, you look at the, the seams on this, the way they have the, the seams on the sculpt, completely different from ours. And then they're like, you know, maybe we should DNA test some of these. Let's just see what happens. And this is what they found. Mitochondrial DNA, which comes from the mother's side, presented mutations unknown to any man, primate, or other animal. We're dealing with completely new human-like being, very different from distant Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, or Denosovans. I'm not sure if it'll even fit into the known evolutionary tree. That's a quote. That's the archaeologist who finally said it in public when everybody else just said, let's, let's just stop the testing. So... Let's keep going. Um, so this isn't Peru, this is Bulgaria. That's a normal skull on the right. That's what they keep finding on the left. They found 13 of them, one place. And then there's something in between, in between them. Why is it then that in, in uh, Peru and Bulgaria and Egypt, the common thing is the people in charge had really big heads. That's just an archaeological fact. And they all say it. Why? Keep going. See where we get to next. Here's another one, just to bake your noodle a little bit. This is a 1,348-foot-long serpent mound. It's in Ohio. And the thing it's eating 
at the end of the serpent is an egg, and there was an ancient altar in the middle of the egg until they took that out because it was creeping people out. <laughs> That's in Ohio. And if you go to the little museum site there and read it, then they say, well, the Native Americans built these. And the Native Americans say, no, we didn't. Stop saying that because we're nomadic. We didn't build this stuff, and you're not going to like it when we tell you who our ancestors told us built them. They used to excavate these things, by the way. I have a, a book this thick. Somebody around here borrowed it, but this thick, all it is is news reports of what they found as they excavated this stuff. Thousands of articles. I have over 1,500 of them back in night, early, late 1800s, early 1900s. Let's go to the next one. This is called the Newark Earthworks, perfectly astronomically, geologically aligned earthen enclosures that cover over 3,000 acres, and they're in Ohio. Why does nobody talk about it? Why aren't we taking field trips here as kids? Why, aren't, why are, are those skulls that I was showing you in these obscure little Peruvian museums and not at you know, the museums that everybody goes to? The reason why, and, and it's exactly what you're all feeling right now, the feeling that you have is like, uh, <laughs> no, can we move on? And that's what the entire academic community does with this. Because they're going, but it doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? Yeah, it doesn't work. Because we all look at it and we go, well, that... So right around the time Darwinian evolution became the giant uh, push for academia, then they stopped excavating. And they stopped putting things on display because it doesn't work. And they stopped honestly interpreting things like, what do the hieroglyphics say behind, you know, behind uh, uh, Nefertiti and Achmedon? They, won't, they can't even say it anymore because it's so beyond. I mean, you, and there's tons of stuff like this, guys. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of these kinds of artifacts. They're everywhere. There's a lot of hoaxes. There's a lot of bogus stuff. There's a lot. You know, I was talking, um, I have a, a dear friend who's a highly, highly educated secular guy. And uh, we were having this conversation. And I was like, this is in Ohio. <laughs> like, do you know how many of these are in Ohio, by the way? How many ancient monolithic burial mounds do you think are in Ohio? Yeah, over 1,000. Everybody's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I've been to a tiny museum in upstate New York that has an effigy of a giant man on display, and, and they all, it's just a, a big joke. But the problem is they keep finding them, and it's upsetting. So I asked my, my uh, dear friend, who's a very educated secular guy, and I said, look, you know, am I, I mean, it's either here or it's not here. Like, that's the, it's either here or it's not. And I said, what do you think? And he came back the next day and he said, Man, if they found like one giant skeleton, and, and he's looking at the same articles I was, and they're saying thousands, and he's going, if they found one, like, it just changes everything, doesn't it? I don't know what else we, let's keep going. See what else I threw in here in my, okay, this is, uh, I think this is the last one. This is Catalina Island around 1930. Now, there's a lot of giant uh, photo hoaxes out there. This is a real photo. I have thoroughly vetted, um, its authenticity and the sources who claim it. Three independent um, experts have taken this photograph, taken the tools, the known height of the guy behind it, put it together, and lined up that skeleton in front of him and go, this thing's like nine feet tall. It's a problem. 
And so what they do with the photo, they said, let's not display this. <laughs> and they put it away. And it's, you, have to, like, you have to bribe people to get to see this photo in real person now. But it's in Catalina Island. It's in California. I could go on and on and on and on. But that's not the point, is it? Because all we're saying is exactly what this says. And what this says is, yeah, once upon a time, it was a mess. And there were all kinds of things. Now, why does that matter to us? Why does it matter? It matters a little bit because in Matthew 24, Jesus says in the last times it will be like the days of Noah. So I hear somebody go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I mean, if you've read Revelation, you get serpents, dragons, beasts. They either are or they aren't. There either is a dragon or there isn't. It just, there can't be sort of, but not really. There either is or there isn't. This stuff that's talked about in Scripture either was there or it wasn't. Goliath was nine feet tall, or they can do all sorts of gymnastics to say, no, he wasn't. But it, I mean, I think he was. It's very clear. It goes down to the weight, the size, the circumference, the weight of his tools, and he just was. And he had five brothers. You can either find giant skulls in Peru, or you can't. The earthen works are in Ohio, or they're not. The Bible says this, or it doesn't. And every other ancient culture says something similar, or they don't. So what do we do with that? Well, here's, what, here's the truth about it, and I know we're short on time. You cannot separate this stuff from the demonic and occultic realities. Everybody who goes down these rabbit holes converges. Everybody who, and, and what I mean is, the reason so many uh, people who are trying to preserve some kind of career won't go here is because it gets very strange very, very quickly. You can't, I mean, I showed you some of the, like, what do you do with some of these hieroglyphs? What do you do with some of these head shapes? What do you do with some of the stuff they're digging up now, like as in within the last couple of years? What do you do with it? Well, you can pretend it's not there, or you can say it is there. But as Christians, what we have to say is, if it is there, what does it mean? Well, this is not really that new. What it means is there are other things out there, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And Jesus and uh, the Scripture calls the good ones angels or servants of God, and the bad ones they call demons. What are demons, biblically? What are they? Well, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they had these offspring that weren't supposed to be there, when those offspring died... Physically, the problem is they have everlasting spirits, and those spirits have nowhere to go. Those are demons. I might be 10% wrong on that, but I don't think I'm 100% wrong on it, and there's a lot of people who would agree with me who are, you know, scholars. I'm not. I just can read their stuff. We're not going to go there, but if you flip it in your Bible to Numbers 13.33, that's another problem when uh, the spies go to the land, the new land of... Uh, of, uh, they, they're exiting Egypt, and they're going to the promised land, and the spies go in to check out the land, and they come back, and they go, guys, problem. There's the sons of Anakim there. They're Nephilim, same word as here, and it says, and, they, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. He said they're huge. And God said, yeah, wipe all those guys out. And there's a lot of people who get really upset, 
about with the Old Testament because they go, oh, there's genocide. You can directly correlate with the very few nations that God said, wipe them out completely. Those were the Nephilim nations, always, because they weren't supposed to exist. And by the way, when they're wiped out physically, they don't vanish. When you, if you go down the occultic rabbit holes and listen to the people who claim to talk to demons, what you're going to find is demons are really good liars. We know that because we just studied Genesis chapter 3 and we studied Eve, right? Demons are really good liars. They're very convincing. They make you feel really good about yourself. What they're going to say is, yeah, um, you know, we're actually responsible for your existence and how you are. We, we manipulated this along the way. We've been watching over you all this time, and we think you're ready for something bigger. And everybody goes, oh, and they go, but, and they go, well, the, we're told in Scripture to test the spirits of Jesus. You know, what, what do you say about Jesus? And they go, yeah, he, he was good. He was fine. And that's about as far as they'll go. It's not, which is, by the way, what Mormonism says about Jesus and what Islam says about Jesus and these others, right? Yeah, good example. Good, good guy. Let's move on. That's, what the, that's where they leave it. It's demonic. They lie. And if you think that we're done with that, Jesus says, again, in Matthew 24, right around the place where he says, watch out, the last days will be like the days of Noah, he says there's going to be a great deception. That's what paves the way for the Antichrist, is when there's a big, profound deception where all humanity at the same time goes, oh, look, we're ready for something bigger. And the Antichrist will go, yes, I'm the one to show you the way. Here it is. Well, what about Jesus? Yeah, he was fine. Let's not talk about him. I'm God now. That's what it's going to be. And what, where does that put a Bible-believing Christian? Well, from that perspective, it puts us as the enemies of humanity, the ones holding it all back. And if you think there's not going to be a violent turning against Christianity, then you haven't been paying attention. By the way, why does it say in uh, verse 9 of Genesis 6, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man and perfect in his generation. It means his bloodline wasn't corrupted. And apparently that was unusual then. So we're about out of time. Let's have the worship team come up because we're not done, but this is what I want you to hear. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God, what is the point? What do you want me to say? What does your church need? And the answer is, it's not all this stuff. It's helpful to be aware of it. Some of you will wish you never saw it and will find a way to put it out of your head. Others of you, like me, will be like, well, now that it's in there, other people are going to have to hear about it, you know, and you'll start doing the research, and it's fun. But, you know, it's, I told you where it's going to lead you. That's where it's going to go. It's going to show you that demons lie, and they've been around, and that shouldn't actually shock us as Christians, should it? And when they come back and things show up that aren't quite human and lie, we should be ready, shouldn't we? That's what the Bible says. Is that so terrifying? No, not really. But as I was praying, I met a good friend of mine on Friday, and he said, hey, I know you're preaching this tricky sermon on Sunday. I want to hear about it. And, he's, and he knows the scripture, and he's a, a brother in Christ, and um, he's a very smart guy. He's an actual rocket scientist. He works on uh, systems for ULA, and we're sitting there, and we're having this conversation. 
And beforehand, I had been praying. I've been saying, God, I want clarity around what, what do you want me to bring to the people? Why, what do we need to know here? And I was expecting to like have the, the information congeal or something like that. And I'm sitting with my buddy, and we're going through all this, and we're talking through it, and I'm showing him some of this stuff. I'm like, I don't know. Do you think I should put this on the screen at church? And he's like, definitely not. And um, <laughs> so he's like, that goes on the internet forever. I'm like, well, here we are. Um, so we're having this conversation, and out of the corner of my eye, there's this somebody who works in the place we were. There's this, this young lady, and she's, we're kind of at closing hour. We were up late, and talking and she's, um, she's turning on her music and she's dancing over there. And I had only just met her and, um, you know, somebody who very kindly, it doesn't have a lot of natural advantages, I'll put it that way, but a beautiful spirit, beautiful person. She's over there, she's dancing to her music. And we're kind of laughing because it's a little distracting because she doesn't care. She, also, it's closing time and she wants us to leave. Um, <laughs> But we're having this conversation with her, and I said, I've never heard this song. What is it? She goes, this is my favorite song. I said, well, what do you like about this song? And she says, well, I like, the, I like the song, and I like the beat, and I like the lyrics, and they're so meaningful to me. And I said, well, where'd you learn about it? And she kind of stopped, and she said, you know, I have an older brother, and he's better than I am in every way. And my parents like him more, and he's very smart and very successful, and he's also a very gifted musician. And he says this song is stupid. And she just deflated, telling me that. I don't know why she told me that, but I've watched like all the, all the light just kind of go out, like, the, like somebody unplugged the Christmas lights. And something in me, what I had been praying for all along, suddenly reared up. And God said, it's not stupid. He said, I like this song, and I like her. And everything I've been praying for suddenly made sense, because that's the point. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Let's go there, because you should know where to find it in your Bible, and I don't want to get it wrong, because I treasure this verse. I went home after that, and God just, he wrecked me with it. I was a mess. I woke Rachel up because I was crying, and then she was a mess. She doesn't like to be woken up in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> here's what you need to know. This is Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the point. Jesus said when he was talking to Peter about his church, he said the gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. And when he sees that young woman enjoying her song, he's saying, yeah, there are monsters out there. They can't touch her. There are monsters out there. We all kind of know, we know the world's a broken place. It's just more broken than we want to think about a lot of times. 
it was so broken that God had to send a flood to like hit reset on most of it and say, whoa, it's getting out of control a little earlier, right? I'm paraphrasing. Um, and what we know is it was that when those things are unleashed, you're in trouble unless you're in Christ. That's the point. The point is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is no abomination. There is no demon. There is no angel. There is no space-time dimension, which Paul covers in there. There's nothing that can separate it. His love, his simple love, which is not a spectrum, it's a fact, it's who he is, is so powerful that you don't have to be afraid of anything. Nothing. Uh-huh. And we're going to dedicate these babies. And when we hold these children and look at them, and when their parents hold them and look at them, and you see in their eyes, then they go, Yes, this is my baby. That's how God holds you. That's how He holds you. At your worst moment, your worst moment, he's holding you like a premature infant and saying, look at my son, look at my daughter. That's why Jesus died. And that's the point. We're told in 1 John that Jesus said, I came to destroy the work of the devil. All this stuff, all this broken stuff, it gets, it gets wiped out. It's destroyed. It's good as done. But you know what lasts forever? It's the love of our King. Let's worship together.